Hello, and welcome to the podcast with Suzanne and Amy, brought to you by Homeschool Life Magazine. I'm Suzanne. And I'm Amy. And this is episode one for June 6th, 2016. Yay. Yay. So hello, Amy. Hello, Suzanne. How are you? I am doing pretty well. Would, would you maybe like to talk about homeschooling a little bit? I guess since it is uh, the topic of the podcast, we probably should work it in occasionally. We, we probably should. So <laughs> one thing, we when we were preparing for this, we decided to go ahead and kind of ask each other my, my favorite question when I meet a new homeschooler, which is, you know, how did, how did you get into this wonderful world of homeschooling? So Amy, how did you get into homeschooling? Well, not on purpose, for sure. <laughs> we did, definitely did not set out to be homeschoolers. When my daughter was born, I worked full time and I thought, I'll go to work. She'll go to right. school. We'll both do fabulously. And we did, kind of, until about second grade when it became clear that school just was not really working out for my daughter. Uh-huh. Um. She, you know, she did well. She got good grades. But every single day I was getting a note home from her second grade teacher saying things like, you know, your daughter doodled on her spelling test today. Can you please oh. talk to her about not doing that? Or your daughter was humming during her math test today. Could you wow. please talk to her about not doing that? Or your daughter was sitting cross-legged in her chair today while she was <laughs> eating. Could you please talk to her about not doing that? Oh, my gosh. Well, and I mean... In a big picture way, I get it. Teaching a whole classroom full of kids must be so hard. And right. you probably do have to set boundaries that maybe seem strident to people who aren't there in the classroom with right. kids right. every day. Right. But it was just obvious that my poor daughter, if she was ever going to like be happy in that classroom and do well, would have to really, really change a lot of things about the way that she apparently learned. Uh -huh. And I remembered there's this, this moment where I just thought, why, why are we doing this? Why are we trying to make school a place that she hates? Mm. And so we, we really weren't sure what to do. We thought about private schools. But they are so expensive. I mean, yeah. it's like paying for college three times and we have two yeah. kids. <laughs> <laughs> There's just no way. <laughs> and we looked at other alternatives, but there was all this complicated hoop jumping. You had charter schools, but you had to apply, and there were lotteries, and it all seemed like way more than my brain could handle. So I thought, well, what about homeschooling? Because even if it's not what we do forever, it would work for now. It would be an right. immediate solution, <clears throat> and it would give us time to figure out what we really wanted to do. Uh-huh. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> so, you know. And so it began. <laughs> almost seven years later, here we are, still homeschooling. It, it turned out that homeschooling was the perfect fit for us. We ended up changing a lot of things about our everyday life, like my job changed. Uh -huh. But it's, it's clearly been such a good decision for us. And my son, who's eight now, has oh, never been to a traditional school. Uh -huh. So I guess we, we fell into homeschooling, but we're really, really glad we did. What about you? How did, how did you guys start homeschooling? Um, well, I, I think we talked about last time it seemed like a good idea at the time. <laughs> and, um, 
I guess I should start out. I'm I'm a mother of four. I have uh, four kids, boy, girl, girl, boy. And we've homeschooled uh, from the very beginning. And the way that started was, gosh, so many, many years ago when my, my oldest was about three and a half and I had a baby at home, uh, I was in, and I was home with them. I was a stay-at-home mom at that time. And I was in a, a neighborhood play group with about seven or eight other moms and their kids. And they, these were all our first our first kids. And uh, everybody was putting their kids into preschool. Like everybody. Like I was the only one that didn't have my kid in preschool. And even though, I mean, nobody was like pointing at me and laughing or anything. I mean, it was strange how much pressure I felt that this is what all the people are doing and why aren't you doing it? And the reason we didn't have him in preschool was, uh, first of all, we were broke because I was at home. <laughs> and uh, then the other reason was I just didn't feel like my three-year-old was ready for preschool. He was not like super clingy, but he also, I just I just couldn't see dropping him off somewhere every day. I just did not think that he was at a point where he would enjoy it. Whereas some of the other kids in the, the playgroup, I mean, clearly they, they were there. Um, yeah, and so... So I thought a lot about how this, this, okay, I'm already the odd one out. I'm already weird in that everybody else has their kids in preschool and I don't. And they're starting to talk about pre-K and they're going places and they're, re they're researching and they're, they're getting on waiting lists. And it was, it was just stressful and, and weird. Um, and around that, that time, NPR did a week-long series on homeschooling. And I don't remember much about it. It must have, I think it was like kind of like modern homeschooling and, and the approach. Oh, what's, what's the Buffy line? about oh, homeschooling. It's not just for scary religious types anymore. Exactly. Exactly. So it was kind of that approach and they were talking to, you know, normal homeschool families. So I was, I remember listening to those stories and there was one day where they had, um, uh, a family that was at home and they were recording them and I could just picture and they were all in like, they were saying they were all in a big like easy chair and the kids were piled on the mom and the mom was reading Harry Potter to them. And okay. So I, I know that you don't have to homeschool to read aloud to your children. Right. <laughs> I am aware, <laughs> but there was something about that image. Like, wait, that's what I could be doing. Um, that just, that really spoke to me. So after that, I, Amy will not be surprised to hear, I went to the library and I checked out every single book, a literal stack of books <laughs> that they had on homeschooling and secular homeschooling. Cause we were, I knew we were coming at it from a secular perspective and I was really lucky. This is like 2001. So there was a stack of books for me to check out. If I had gone like even, you know, maybe even three years earlier, those books would not have been published yet. They were right. all hot off the presses. Um, but I came home and I put the stack next to the bed and, you know, so I'm there and my husband's next to me and I'm just going through the stack, you know, and I get ha halfway through the stack and I kind of turn and I said, I think we could do this. Um, and then I got to, uh, the well-trained mind ah. by Susan Weisbauer and Jesse. I know I was looking it up on Amazon to make sure I got the author's name right. And they're going into their fourth edition this summer. It's a great book. I mean, I think that whatever style of homeschooling you feel yeah. pulled toward, you should read that book because it it just makes you feel like you can do everything. 
Exactly. Well, and it was just, I mean, the way they approached literature. Anyway, I read that book and then I turned again, I turned my poor husband and said, this is what we're going to do. <laughs> and, and, you know, kind of didn't, but that's a whole other, a whole other story. But anyway, that, so that, that was me making the decision. And we ordered, I ordered a giant box from Rainbow Resource. Um, and I kind of never looked back, which is, which is very odd. I mean, I would never have guessed that I would end up homeschooling because I am middle of the road, mainstream, never met a rule I didn't want to follow. You know, what would I be doing with this weird, fringy, you know, bizarro homeschool kind of situation? Um, right. And it I seemed like like something that people who weren't like me did. Exactly. People who were more together or smarter or more organized or more in control. Oh, no, I didn't go in that direction. I was like, oh, this is a bunch of weirdos who are doing Well, I didn't want to say, but yes, also a bunch of weirdos. <laughs> but one person. And I can say that because I am a long-term weirdo. Um, but I think, I think the way I was able to make that decision was because, you know, I never thought in a million years I'd be a stay-at-home mom. Um so when I was pregnant with my first child and I, I kind of ended up having, having this moment and making that decision, that decision to be a stay at home mom was so big. I mean, I, I cannot overstate what a life shaking decision that was for me and who I thought I was. So when it came to um, making the decision to homeschool, I was so far off road from my life plan that it was like, yeah, sure. What the heck? You know, it really did not feel like a big decision at that point because I had already done, I had already gone like as weird as I could go. <laughs> so, so yeah. So how about you? So when you, when you started homeschooling, you know, you talked about working full time before that kind of what was your life like before homeschooling? Well, I think that's always a really interesting question because I, I think it's true that kind of once you fall into the homeschooling world, it's like, um, it's like your SAT scores after you get into college. No, no one cares anymore how <laughs> you did or what you did, right? You kind of like, you're like, well, but wait, I had this whole. Um, so I was a person. I, I, ironically, I mean, I loved school, loved, loved, loved school, would have mm -hmm. cried at the end of every school year, cheered at the beginning of every new school year, went straight from high school to college straight from college to grad school. I pretty much knew from the time I was in kindergarten that all I really wanted to do with my life was read books. Yeah. So when I discovered that you could major in literature, I mean, <laughs> my life track was pretty set. I, that's basically <laughs> what I did. <laughs> I, I think I majored in literature through elementary school, <laughs> through middle school, through high school, through college, and through grad school. Um, so... Once I was in college, I fell in love with critical theory and post-structuralism and pop culture. And I spent, I would say, some of the best years of my life obsessing about those things. And uh -huh. being surrounded by people who were willing to, I don't know, you know, um, parse something like Henry James or Ghostbusters or the idea of white privilege for literally weeks. You know, I think, weeks. I think that's how we bonded, you and I. I can remember discussing post-structuralism around the campfire at a homeschool Girl Scout that's outing. Right. I remember 
when we were sitting, Suzanne and I met because our daughters were in the same homeschool Girl Scout troop, and we we met in person. We we talked several times as we like dropped our daughters off at different places. But the first time that we talked was on this camping weekend, which I think it's fair to say neither of us was the most camperly <laughs> mom there. Um, That's we fun. were sitting in the arts and crafts tent, totally, totally bonding over over Buffy and books yeah. and. It was great. I was like, and I should I, say, I had no, and I still am not quite sure I have any understanding of what post post structuralism is. Well, I mean, that's but, the whole idea of post structuralism is to scare other people into thinking they have no idea about what it is, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, but it was good. It was a good conversation. So, yeah, so anyway. I loved I loved school, and probably if I didn't have to feed myself and other people, I would just go to school forever and read books forever and write papers about books forever. But um, but when I finished grad school, I could get a job teaching, which I, I actually love school and I love books and I love talking to people about books. But I found teaching college students kind of unsatisfying. Oh, yeah. I think Maybe I would have more patience now, but but at the time, I really expected students to treat their classes the way I treated my classes. Uh-huh. So I would walk into like my freshman literature seminar, and most of the class would not have done the reading, and I had no idea how to process that in a reading. <laughs> right? What do what do I? I don't even know what to do now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just it was, so I ended up um, getting a job. I. I I always like to say this because I think I might be literally the last person who found a job through the actual print edition of <gasps> paper. Wow. That's so cool. I, I mean, I really might be. That's pretty cool. <laughs> so I, I found a job as an editorial assistant at a magazine and I absolutely fell in love. I, I loved the pace of it because you were always on a deadline. You were always trying to wrap something up, but at the same time, you were always starting something new or working on a new story, mm-hmm. and probably you spent half your time researching random things really obsessively and then moving on to something else. Right. I mean, it was like nerd paradise. So I I worked in magazines. I got promoted to assistant editor, and then I went somewhere as associate editor, and then lifestyles editor and senior editor and editor-in-chief and finally we uh moved back to atlanta and started our own magazine which was homeschool life wow wow i know it all sounds very exciting but um you know it's it's less exciting than it sounds i think (laughs) i don't know it seems pretty exciting to me but you you are like the coolest pre-mom person you're an engineer well, yeah, yeah, kind of. I have to say, while you're talking about teaching, I was thinking about uh, my daughter uh, asked me, my daughter who wants to be a teacher was uh, asking me the other day, why did you never think about, did you ever think about being a teacher when you were, when you were growing up? <laughs> and I was like, no, I never wanted to work with children. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, huh, you know, maybe, maybe I should avoid nevers in my, anyway. So, um, yeah, so I live in Metro Atlanta, and I came up to Atlanta in 87, which I think makes me a native. And um, I came up to go to Georgia Tech, where I uh, majored in computer science and met my my now husband, who also majored in computer science. We were nerds together. 
And yeah, so when I graduated, I went off to work with uh, Lotus Development. I don't know how old you have to be to remember this stuff now, but Lotus 123 was a big, big spreadsheet. And I worked with a group that worked on, they had a word processor, which was a competitor with uh, Microsoft Word. Uh, we did not win that competition, <laughs> but there, uh, I worked on, it was called Lotus Word Pro. And so that was my job. I was a programmer, a software engineer working on the word processor. So I did that for six years and then I got pregnant and my plan was look how, look how well I've planned this. I'm a, I'm a software engineer. I can work from home. I can cut down the hours. I have working moms in my group have already kind of pioneered this whole, you know, working, having a baby thing. And then I had this just complete life change where I realized that I really wanted to be home with my kid. Uh, but I think, I think even more than kind of the, well, certainly more than like the engineering background, I, I have the same thing in my history where I love school. I, I loved school. School was the thing I was best at. Um, I loved my test scores. I loved my teachers. I love what you should really be able to get grades in life. You know, it would just be so nice to get a little transcript at the end of every year. Maybe Some without years. housework on it. Yeah, no house. Well, could we pick? Could we pick what we get graded on? I think I think that. So so yes, yeah, so I was the complete nerd. You know, I, I did not go to senior prom because I was at a math competition. Thank you. And <laughs> and college, I thought college was going to be the most fun thing I ever did. Like I was ready to leave college when I did. But um, at, at, when I left it, I'm kind of like, well, well, that's it. That was the high point. Um, and then I found that being a mom is is more fun. But um yeah, so I, I think that's something that really drew me to homeschooling because, you know, I love school. I love being with my kids. Wait, I can do these two things together. And I, I don't know how much I kind of was conscious of that at the time, but I think that was actually something that really drew me to homeschooling was the idea of doing something that I, I already love and getting to see my kids do it with me. So so that was that was kind of a great a great idea. Yay. Um, so what's going on in your homeschool life right now? Well, mostly I am busy freaking out about high school because my daughter starts high school in the fall. There you go. Yep. But we're actually just in our regular homeschool routine. We don't break for the summer. A lot of people do, but I just, I find that if we don't keep up our routine, things get crazy. Mm-hmm. So we're pretty relaxed all the time, and I think we're even more relaxed in the summer, but we just kind of have our little routine. We go to the pool. We do some work. We, we're we taking these online crochet classes. Very cool. Which is actually, I was going to say, I was skeptical of the online class for something that you do practically with your hands. But right. now I'm like, it would be great if in all classes you could pause and rewind the teacher yes. every few minutes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's true. That would work really well. So, yeah, we're, we're pretty – it's quiet now, just kind of like the regular routine. What about you guys? How was your summer? Well, we, we do take the summer off. So um, there's a lot of sleeping in and playing video games for about 12 hours straight <laughs> that's, that's going on. Um, there's so plenty of that over here, too. I just want to clarify. <laughs> I don't want to sound like – Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. So um, – so I, so I, like I said, I've got the four kids, 
my youngest is 11. So he's a rising sixth grader. So he'll be starting middle school in the fall. Um, my daughter, my next oldest daughter is 13 and she's a rising eighth grader, which means that last year, I mean, sorry, next year will be her last year of homeschooling. Because uh, when I started homeschooling, um, people would say, well, how, how long are you going to do this? And I would always say, well, as long as, as long as it's working. But in my head, I really, once we kind of got into the groove, um, and once I saw some of the, the frustrations and challenges that my friends who had their kids in traditional school uh, were facing, I really thought, oh, we'll just homeschool all the way through. We'll just keep going. But as we got closer to high school with my oldest, I started kind of mentally drawing. I mean, it is a kind of a different thing. Um, so I was kind of mentally drawing up these pros and cons of homeschool, high school, traditional high school. And I really came to a place where I felt like they balanced to a point that it needed to be his choice. So we talked about that a lot. And then, and then our family life kind of changed. Because, um, you know, for to, to help out with the income and all that kind of stuff, I started doing some childcare at home. And as that kind of stuff changed, I began to see that I it just wasn't going to be possible for me to homeschool high school the way I would like to. So we decided that that our for our, our plan A was going to send um, my oldest son to the local public high school, which is like a mile and a half away. And which is a really good school. Suzanne lives in a great school district. Yeah, we're fortunate. There's, there's a lot of great schools around here. So, um, and that was the plan. And, and the idea was, we'll give this a try. You'll transition in as a ninth grader. You'll be starting high school with everybody else. And we'll see if it works. And if it doesn't work, I will absolutely pull you out of school the next day. So we always had kind of that, that fallback. And it did work. So, so that has kind of been the plan going on then. So my, so my 13 year old, like I said, she's, she'll have eighth grade next year home with me and we'll be going to orientations at the high school. There's tours we'll be doing. So I kind of know this is my third time through. I kind of know what that looks like, but it's, it's an emotional year for me. The last year that they're at home, she can't wait. And, and then so and so it worked out with the other the older two have then now been at high school. My my uh, my older daughter, who is 15, just finished up her freshman year of high school. And then my oldest, who turned 18 oh. a couple weeks ago and graduated a week after that and is heading off to college in the fall. So Which at is Georgia so Tech. exciting. Yay. You did it. Yeah, so we brainwashed him from the beginning. So he's heading off to Georgia Tech to major in computer science, like his mom and dad. Um, yeah, so that's my status. I'm, I I feel weird sometimes talking about homeschooling. I'm a, I'm I'm a homeschooler with two kids still at home. Last year, you know, two kids at home, two kids at high school. Although I was thinking about it, and if you count homeschooling from oh, say preschool, which I like to, because give me as much credit as possible. That means that <laughs> my oldest. He was in traditional school for four years, but he was homeschooled for 10 years. So, yeah, so it's it's kind of a, an interesting place to be between the two. Well, and I think that one of the things about homeschooling that, that people sh should talk about maybe more often is that a piece of homeschooling is sometimes knowing that 
that or when it's time to stop homeschooling. Mm-hmm. It's not homeschooling is great and I love it and I I'm I have mixed feelings about homeschooling through high school. I'm excited about it and terrified by it and I'm glad we have the opportunity to do it. But I hope that if there were clearly a better decision for my daughter that that I would seize that. I would take that opportunity. I I don't think homeschooling is always automatically the best choice. And I think sometimes the smartest thing that we can do is really look the facts in the face and make the decision that works best for our kid, not for right. us. Well, and I, well, obviously I, I agree, but I think sometimes people talk about homeschooling, like you're stepping off a cliff, like you could never go back. And that's just, that's just not true. And I think the, the, the responsible thing, the best thing is try to, you know, I try to come at it with what is the best choice for my family. Right. And I talk to people who are considering homeschool this way too. It's like maybe intellectually you think you've decided that homeschooling, you know, maybe that would be your, your first choice, but maybe you feel like if you were the homeschool, you know, if you're the homeschool mom that you're going to go crazy. I mean, so that counts, right? I mean, if homeschooling isn't going to work for the parent, it isn't going to work for the family and, and that matters. And, situations can change really quickly. And that's the great thing about homeschooling is that you can respond to that change. So you can respond both by saying, hey, traditional school isn't working. Let's investigate homeschooling. Or then if your situation at home changes, you can say, well, let's let's look at our other options. Exactly. I think that as homeschoolers, it's, it's really important that we be kind to ourselves and to each mm-hmm. other about the choices that end up being the right ones for our homeschool. I, there are a lot of people who feel like if their child wants to go back to school, that somehow homeschooling has failed, that they right. haven't been successful. Right. But I think in a lot of ways, having a kid who can evaluate her situation and say, this is, I think, what's right for me now is the most successful homeschooling there is. Right. And they know they have options. That's the other thing, too. I think homeschool kids... Uh, they're never trapped in a situation. It was really important to me when I kind of, you know, I sent my firstborn off to the high school and, uh, you know, and all he'd ever done, he just watched Disney movies about high school. That was his whole preparation. <laughs> he had, the, if it wasn't, didn't happen on the Disney channel, he didn't know that. Was he disappointed um, by the lack of dancing in the hallway? <laughs> I don't think he was. My daughter may have been, but, um, but I mean, I really important to me when he, he went and said, look, if this doesn't work, you do not have to stay. You can always come home and we will figure out something that does work. We will find another option. And I feel like that's so important because I, I feel that trapped feeling may be the worst feeling you can have. And that if you know you're not trapped, if you know you have options, then you can actually hang in there longer, right? Continue with the situation to see, okay, well, how is this going to work out? How can I, without, you know, kind of feeling like you're giving up. But anyway, so it worked out for us. Yeah. It, I mean, so. I, I know your kids, so they're amazing kids doing amazing things. So I hope that, cross your fingers, that high school will go as well for us. Yeah, yeah. We should, that's a, that's a topic for, for another podcast. We can definitely talk about that. Um, <laughs> which I think brings us to our first sponsor. Yay! Yay! So the podcast with Amy and Suzanne is brought to you by Homeschool Life magazine. 
If your homeschool group would benefit from a regular influx of homeschooling inspiration, it may please you to know that Homeschool Life offers a great deal on group subscriptions. A lot of people don't know this, but if you can get a group of at least 20 people together, and we don't care if they're your internet friends or your neighbors or your homeschool group, as long as there are 20 of you, you can each get your subscription for $10 instead of the usual $19 per year. If that's something that would interest you, send us an email to subscriptions at homeschoollifemag.com. Yay! Yay! <laughs> I wasn't sure exactly how to transition out of that. <laughs> well, I can talk about the research that I did last night because I'm committed to this podcast. And so last night I ventured out from my home and went to see the new Jane Austen adaptation. You are so brave and intrepid. <laughs> I, Thank the you. sacrifices you make for your art, Suzanne. <laughs> I know. I just want to be appreciated. No, okay. So I'm almost scared to ask because you know that I love Jane Austen. Yeah. And I hate, <laughs> I mean, I have issues with many movie adaptations. How was it? I really liked it. I really liked it. That's the short answer. It's called Love and Friendship. Um, it's directed by Whit Stillman. I don't know if you've seen any of his films. Uh, back in the early 90s, he was an independent filmmaker. He did Metropolitan and Barcelona. Oh, yeah. All those yeah. young people sitting around talking about life movies. Preppies having witty conversations, <laughs> right? Which is great <laughs> for Jane Austen. And um, maybe not a preppy thing, but uh, so, yeah. So he was the director and the movie is based on Austin's uh, short novel, Lady Susan, which was uh, one of her earlier pieces before she started like Sense and Sensibility, all the, the published novels. And it was not something she ever tried to publish in her lifetime. And I know I've read it, but it has been so long that I could not tell you uh, where the movie changed things. It's a novel in letters, isn't it? Yes. Yes. So. Yeah, that gives so, you a and, little more freedom as a director. And I think it's more straight up comedy than than like her, her novels are. It's, um, you know, in the movie. OK, so I should tell you about the movie. The movie uh, centers around Lady Susan, who is uh, played by Kate Beckinsale, who I have always been a fan of since I shot, saw her play the lead in Cold Comfort Farm. One yes, of my one of favorite the movies. Yes, yes. Uh, something nasty in the woodshed. So she then went on to be an action hero star. She's been in a bunch of movies where she plays a vampire assassin. I don't mean somebody who assassinates vampires. I mean, she is a vampire <laughs> and an assassin. So she took this, she was in all these costume period dramas and then she took like this right turn and went into action hero land. And now she's back playing, uh, like I said, Lady Susan, who is a, a widow and she is she is just entertainingly awful. She's the smartest person in the movie. Everything she does is manipulative. Uh, she's kind of amoral. So she, basically, she's traveling around and has no money and is just trying to to go to various houses and and live off her friends and relations um, in high style and also flirt with everyone and and kind of uh, have more you know add to her list of admirers. Uh, married men, young men, you know, it's part of the game. So we're following Lady Susan and she has a daughter named Frederica who is, uh, so who's, who's Susan is trying to hook up 
with this wealthy, but really stupid um, guy, <laughs> Sir James. And Sir James, he reminded me a little bit of Ricky Gervais in The Office, um, just dumb, but also unlike The Office, very sweet, but but really, really dumb. So the daughter, <laughs> the daughter is trying desperately not to be hooked up with Sir James. Um, and then meanwhile, while Lady Susan is staying with her brother and uh, her brother and sister-in-law, brother-in-law and sister-in-law, she, uh, the sister-in-law's younger brother is there and his name is Reginald. And um, she, so she thinks it would be interesting to basically, uh, you know, collect him. She's going to add another notch um, and have him fall in love with her. So, so kind of the movie, the movie is if you know, you're trying to see if the two young people, Lady Susan's daughter, and then this younger brother, if they are going to escape Lady Susan's clutches. Uh -huh. um, although you're also kind of rooting for her because she's super entertaining. So um, yes, I will just say it's very enjoyable. It's very pretty. It's the whole, you know, the, the places are pretty, the houses are pretty, the guys are wearing the boots and those great coats that have the little capes. I'm just, I'm happy. So, I mean, obviously I'm going to see it. Obviously. <laughs> obviously you're going to see it. It's, I mean, it's funny. The, the movie itself, like when it introduces the, I, I'm sure I confused everyone with my my story of, you know, sister-in-law, brother-in-law, and da, da, da. But when they introduce all these people in the movie, they stop and they do like, uh, they, they do a close-up on the on that character and they have a little spotlight on them and they look at the camera and then they have under them, you know, so-and-so's unattached daughter or, you know, <laughs> Lord Mannering, devilishly handsome, you know, so that's how you're introduced to the, I just love that kind of thing. That's delightful. It really is. And I mean, you know how I feel about there should be more footnotes in the world. Exactly. Also more little establishing signs. Yes. So it's very helpful. So the movie's trying to help you. And it, there is a lot thrown at you, but you get, you get the hang of it. Uh, and it, and it's laugh out loud funny. The lines, you know, my husband also, who, who is fine with watching these kind of period dramas, but he really had no idea what he was getting into. He, he and I were both laughing. Um, it's, it's, since it's based on a shorter work, there's not as much to it. You know what I mean? It's, it's not a novel. It's not one of these big involved stories. It's, it's like a short story, which works really well when you change it to a movie um, and the theme and it's somebody, one of the reviews I read can compared it to like a caper film, almost oh. like a, like a heist film. And I can, I can see where they're coming from. Right. Because it's like, is lady Susan going to be able to execute her plan through all these ups and downs and, and revelations. Um, so it's not as serious and maybe not as deep as some of the other novels and adaptations, but I, I highly recommend it. It's in limited release. I expect that it'll be out. I expect it won't be out for very long. Actually, I expect it'll be on on uh, like DVD and and on demand pretty soon. So so watch it, everybody. Go watch it. Well, I will definitely go watch it because you know British British period drama is my sweet spot. Yep. Yeah. Oh, and can I just tell you during the coming attraction? So there was a lot of period films during the coming attractions. I also had that moment. That roller coaster moment during the, I don't know if you've had this, where I'm watching the trailer and I'm like, oh, this is going to be so great because it's like 1930s Hollywood. All right, check, I'm there. And it's got Steve Carell playing a movie executive. Oh, check, I'm there. And then all these other great actors keep coming in. And then it's directed by Woody Allen. Oh, that so, kills me. I know, because not only am I sad because I, I won't see the film now, but also all these, act I mean, Parker Posey. 
And I can't even go through the list. It's too depressing of all these wonderful actors who are in the film. And I mean, I have, I feel like I have empathy for people who have to make choices because they're in an early stage of their career where, you know, this film could make or break them. But these are not people who need the job. Uh, I know. So anyway, so I just had to tell you, I had, I had that, that. I, I, I need to keep up with what's coming out by him just so I don't have that moment of, oh, this looks so very cool. Oh, it's so crushing. Because, I mean, it he has made great movies. Right. It, it is a shame. Right. Right. It is a shame. So anyway, so so tell so, so cheer me up again. Tell me about something neat that you've been watching lately. Well, speaking of British scenery and period yes. dramas, Remarkable. Um, Jason and I have been watching Poldark, which is a... Uh, PBS series on Amazon Prime. Have you seen uh-huh. this one? I have not. So it's based on a series of novels by Winston Graham, which I've never read and probably will never read. But it's about a guy, Ross Poldark, who comes home from fighting on the British side of the American Revolution. Um, and when he gets back to his home in Cornwall, he finds out that his father has died and his estate and his inheritance is completely falling apart. Mm-hmm. So he's got to try to reopen the copper mine that has closed down under his father and pay off all of his father's debts. And what's interesting about it is that Poldark is a very old and prestigious family name, which is a big part of the story, that he's okay. like an important part of society in the town where he lives. But he's also sort of the reprobate member of the family you know, he had to go fight in the American Revolution because he got arrested for drunkenness and he either had to go to jail or go to work. Oh. And okay. when he comes back, his fiance has married his very wealthy cousin, uh-huh. Francis Poldark. And Ross has also come back with sort of all these ideas about equality and how people deserve rights, you know, how it's not always the landowner who should have all the rights. But he also has this kind of really awesome rich Brit snobbery about uh-huh. like nouveau riche bankers and noblesse oblige. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's actually a great story. I, I, he's, he's both a frustrating and likable character. He gets caught up in all kinds of, you know, political and social drama and it has Eleanor Tomlinson in it. I don't know okay. if you know who she is. She has a, she was in a couple of episodes of the Sarah Jane Adventures, which oh, is like uh-huh. a Doctor Who spinoff. Yeah, and she was uh, Mr. Darcy's sister, Georgiana, in Death Comes to Pemberley, the redhead. Okay. Yep. Um, but I love her, and the whole time I was watching it, I was thinking that I really want her and Benedict Cumberbatch. Am I saying that <laughs> right? Is there a right way to say his name? Or I think it's Cumber. I say it Cumberbatch, but Cumberbatch. Yeah. But anyway, I really want the two of them to make a Lily and Snape backstory movie. Oh, that would be awesome. I feel like that would complete my life. Uh, but, um, <laughs> the guy who plays Poldark, Ross Poldark, is also the same guy who played uh, Killy in the Hobbit movie. movie. Oh, okay. I, per- I refuse to think of them as a trilogy, but I guess I have to. Well, so, so I have seen pictures of him. I mean, PBS sells it kind of like as a whole beefcake thing. So like well, I mean, how much is like getting to watch Beefcake Boy I mean, and like how much of it is the right? 
<laughs> it's like listening to the plot. <laughs> well, I was going to say there is this sort of Mr. Darcy scene where he oh, yeah. rips off his things and dives into the sea to go swimming. Of course. Um, so I, I will say that um, because he, I, I was, I was not a fan of the Hobbit movies. Did you like okay. them? I was. I, I guess the short answer is no. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm sad to say that, but there are parts I liked. There were things I liked about it. I, I have a lot of issues with the third movie in particular. Yes, well, because I mean, the bulk of the third movie is completely made up because it yeah. all happens while Bilbo is knocked out in the action. Right. Right. But, uh, so I'm Jason. Jason loves Tolkien and any adaptation of Tolkien. And so oh. every time Poldark would go down into his mind, I would say, maybe this is where the pixies turn him into a dwarf. And he would get really <laughs> mad. And it, was, it was very funny to me every single time, <laughs> which probably makes me a bad wife. <laughs> no, no, we, we find our joy where, where, where we can get it. <laughs> it, it, is, it is a delightful series. I mean, it is, it is sort of soap opera-y and fun and it's not, you will not leave it thinking, oh, this is the greatest thing I ever watched. But it is, it is a fun series to watch. Cool. And I think they're making a second season, but I'm not sure. Okay. That sounds very cool. Well, um, did I, did I tell you about the big, exciting, we had a big, exciting event in my life this week. And You're not pregnant. <laughs> no. <laughs> but there is a new member of the family. Because, you know, as, as, as I just said, um, the 18 year old is about to head off to college and, and poor, as poor Amy knows, I have been having like a 12 month extended nervous breakdown about this, about him turning 18. I love that you think it's only 12 months. Oh, but, you know, <laughs> give me the dignity, give me what little shreds of, of dignity. Actually, people are being really sweet to me now. Like people are coming up and kind of, t- you know, and being like, Oh, are you doing okay? And how are you? And I'm I'm fine now. You know, it was like six months ago that I was having a breakdown about this, and everybody was like, "You're not there yet." You know, and and so I got my breakdown out of the way early. But um, to to reconcile myself to the fact that we are losing, not losing that uh, that I don't know how to say, a member of the family is moving out of my house. Um, I wanted to get like I don't know maybe an. 18 year olds weight in kittens I thought would probably would probably work but um we have settled for one kitten oh kittens although we we have an option we have an option on a second kitten maybe so so we have a little teeny tiny kitten my husband organized the kitten which I'm really proud of him he's never organized a kitten for me before um but he found him on Facebook a, a neighborhood uh lady, a nice neighborhood lady had rescued him and was looking for a home and he's teeny tiny. And, uh, uh, he came with a name. The nice neighborhood lady had named him Gozer after Gozer, the destructor from <laughs> Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. Speaking of Ghostbusters. And my family, when we came home, we were like, well, he's been calling him Gozer. Do we want to change the name? And all the kids were like, no, that is the best name. Um, yeah, but all we forget a second kitten, I reserve the right to name it Hamilton. But anyway, um, <laughs> so Gozer is teeny, teeny, tiny, and he's black and white. And right at the moment, he's living in my son's room because that was a convenient way to kind of, you know, we have two cats and a dog and kind of let Gozer acclimate himself slowly. Um, unfortunately, my son is allergic to cats, as am I. 
but he doesn't have one to sleep on his pillow every night. So now he's sniffling like, I'm okay. It's fine. He can totally be in here. (laughs) And a friend of mine said it was nice of him to like, let the cat bond the kitten bond with him and kick up his scent. So that off he goes off to college, I can just smell the kitten and and think of, think of my son. So, um, yeah, so that's, that's our life. So basically, can, can you top, can you top kittens? Cause that's what I have. I have a kitten. Um, nothing can top kittens. Can we, can we, is there a picture of the kitten? Can we put it in our show notes or something? I think we should put a picture of Gozer in the show notes. I may have, I think <laughs> I took a picture. So I have a stack of books next to my bed as I'm sure you're not shocked. And like at one time he perched on top of it and I was trying to get mom. They're like, mom, that's the perfect picture for you. Kitten and books. So I'll see if I can find a good picture of those oh, for the show notes. Um, well, the most exciting thing that's happening around here isn't even happening to me directly. My father-in-law just took off for a few weeks in Israel. Wow. It's it's very cool because he actually lived there for a big chunk of his life after his family left, kind of got forced to leave Romania um, because the um, they owned a business and they were Jewish. And uh, when the anti-Semitic communist regime kind of came into power, uh, it wasn't a good place right, right. For, for people who owned a factory. So they, they ended up going to Israel and my father-in-law was about nine. And um, then he left Israel and came to the United States when he was a teenager, when he was about 17, and he finished high school and went to college here. But the cool thing, the thing that I'm really excited about is that his best friend from Romania is actually in Israel now, and they're meeting up, and they're going back to Bucharest together. Oh, how wonderful. And they're going to visit the little town where they grew up. So... The kids and I, and by the kids and I, I mean me, cruelly forcing the kids. (laughs) While the kids are like, yeah, that's great. As as one does. We're going to trace all of his adventures. We have a little map, and we've got some pins, and we're going to keep up with where he is. Did you put, like, a low jack in him so you could, like, GPS him? (laughs) I didn't, but I should have. He's a very good (laughs) grandfather, and we don't want to lose him. (laughs) (laughs) Don't want to misplace him somewhere. No, oh, that's I, very I think cool. It's a cool trip. So I'm very excited about it. Yay! That is cool. Okay, that's cool. So is it time for our, our second sponsor spot? I think you're right. It is time. So here's our second sponsor spot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> maybe we'll come up with a more graceful transition for our sponsor spots. We are guys, excellent at this. So. If you guys have a suggestion, you, you can email us at <laughs> with Suzanne and Amy is brought to you by Homeschool Life Magazine, where we're super excited about our new summer classes online. Yay, summer classes. If you are looking for fun learning opportunities for this summer, you will definitely want to check them out. We've managed to convince a lot of very cool people to teach some very cool classes. Suzanne, my co-host podcasting (laughs) is teaching the coolest (laughs) Hamilton history class. Um, Shelly Denkinger is teaching How to Think Like a Philosopher, which is an amazing class. Um, Jeremy Harris is teaching a class on the poetry of the Harlem Renaissance, which I kind of want to take myself. Rebecca Pickens, who you may recognize from our curriculum column in every issue, is teaching a very cool wildcrafting class, 
where they're going to learn how to identify, collect, preserve, and use herbs for sort of medicinal and culinary purposes. Isn't that kind of cool? That's very cool. And I'm teaching a very nerdy class on uh, Sherlock Holmes, where we'll be reading a Sherlock Holmes short story and looking at different uh, cinematic adaptations of it. Very cool. So yay for summer classes. Yay for summer classes. And now books. I know. Do we get to talk about books now? Do we get get to talk talk about books now? (laughs) So, so see, here's what happened. So here's what happened is I have one of my favorite books in the whole wide world called um, Map and Lucia by E.F. Benson. And I happened to notice the other day, I just happened to notice. So thank goodness I noticed this because if I'd missed it, I would have been devastated that there was a new uh, adaptation being shown on PBS. And so I may have uh, gushed a little bit about that in the Stuff We Like column on the blog. And so I managed to convince Amy to, to read it. So I can't wait to hear what she thinks. But anyway, so let me tell you a little bit about Map and Lucia because people have not heard of this book, which is a shame. Um, it's set in like 1930s, the little seaside British town of Tilling. And we have two, two queen bees. We have Lucia who moves there from a different town and she is kind of used to being the, the woman who, I mean, the whole town, the whole social, everything just revolves around her. And she has a faithful sidekick, Georgie Pilsen. And so Lucia and Georgie end up moving to Tilling where they, they run into Miss Mack who um, in the original 1985 uh, version, the adaptation I watched, which actually got me into the books, is played by Prunella Scales. And she played the wife on Faulty Towers uh, with John Cleese, if anybody watched that back in the day. And um, and Miss Mapp is the queen bee of her town. And it's it's how these two... <laughs> I don't know. It's really funny. It's, it's, I think of it of like, you know, kind of Jeeves and Wooster as one of those books that just always makes me laugh and their schemes and how they manipulate people and, and everybody else is just kind of watching what they're going to do. And yeah. So, so what, what did, what did you think of Matt and Lucia? Well, Jeeves and Wooster is exactly what I would compare it to. So, you know, that I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just utterly delightful. It is like taking a vacation in a book. It's you're in this whole other world where people wage war across a bridge table. Lots of which, bridge, which I love. Right, I love which, bridge-related drama. And I'm really excited because I don't understand bridge, so so now I have someone who can explain it to well, me. Apparently, in later books, uh, I, as I know you've told me, there's all this drama between auction bridge versus contract bridge. Right. So I'm very excited to get. but i i love lucia who is the most obnoxiously wonderful character i've met in a long time um she's she's so funny there's a scene uh early on where she's sitting in the garden of her home you know she's been widowed for almost a year and widowhood is starting to uh sort of lose its romance for her a little bit. She's maybe ready to get back to life after mourning very dramatically for these many months. And there's a great scene where she's sitting in the garden of her home uh, and she knows that people will go by and see her. 
and she's got a book of her husband's poetry with her and she wants them to come upon her reading it sadly in this, you know, very tragic position. But she can't get the knots that tie the book together undone. <laughs> she has to settle for leaving it sitting beside her instead. She's just kind of and stroking the cover. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's just, I mean, it's just so entertaining. Both the adaptations I've seen are great. Watch those, read the books. I mean, it's stuff like, so Lucia meets Miss Map when she rents Map's home and in Tilly for whole, the summer. And there's a whole lovely little, little subplot in which everyone in Tilling rents someone else's right. house. So by Lucia renting Mrs. Map's house, everyone in, basically everyone in the town is able to earn rental income throughout that summer. Right, right. And then and then Map charged Lucia more than she was. Anyway, you know, there's all these things going on. And then Lucia decides to open the, the garden grounds of Map's home because she's renting it for a fate for to raise money for the hospital. And Miss Map has a conniption fit because she's she doesn't want the ragtag and bobtail of tilling through her. Anyway, their battle battle is is assumed and they have. Um, oh, it's stuff like Lucia always drops little pieces of Latin, of Latin, of Italian into her conversation and it drives Miss Matt crazy. And she begins to suspect that Lucia doesn't actually speak Italian, which she does not. And so then there's this whole plot about trying to get an actual Italian speaker face to face with Lucia so Lucia can be unmasked. And it's, it's, there is plotting galore. I mean, it's, it's backstabbing and people being... Yeah, vicious to each other over just just entertainingly vicious. Yes, yeah, exactly. I, one of the most dramatic bits of the books revolves around a recipe for a <laughs> particular lobster dish that I mean causes a fantastic amount of drama. Just it's lovely, and one of my favorite characters in the books is Georgie, Lucia's yeah. friend, her her gentleman friend. Uh, who has no desire to marry Lucia, and she has no desire to marry him. But they're adorable together, and he's he's just such a fun character. Yeah, he really is. In the original series, he plays, he's played by um, Nigel Hawthorne in the 1985. But, I mean, they're both. The both adaptations are really good. It's very fun. I will say that I think there's something... Now, I don't know if you've seen the adaptations. I think it actually translates well to the screen because there's a lot of physical humor. There's Miss Mapp breaking down the door to her house because she is put on the chain and maps used to just walking in and out. And it I mean, so there is a lot of, of physicality and it's, it's just great to see the characters being brought to life. But, and the really great news is if you love map and Lucia, which I think is the, probably the high point of the series, it, there is still more, there are, there are two more books um, after map and Lucia set in Tilling with both the characters. And then there's also books Ahead of them, there's a, there's a book by Miss with Miss Map on her own. There are two books about Lucia's life with Georgie um, before she comes to Tilling, and those are also really really what, worth reading. Um, and of course, again, Map and Lucia, where these two powerhouses come together, is is maybe the best. Yes, it is. It is like uh, Jeeves and Wooster or like Georgia Hayer. I mean, really delightful stuff. Yeah, I'm so glad you liked it. I, I loved it. I hope that um, you're going to like the book I picked for us to read next as much. Oh, dramatic drum roll. <laughs> I wish we had a drum roll. <laughs> Maybe I can find the drum roll and edit it in. 
I can't wait to hear what is it. What is it? Um, okay. Well, so I have to I have to backstory, which is Suzanne has read everything. Suzanne is oh. the only person I know who has read more books than I have, and I I think that's awesome. Not that we're counting, <laughs> but no, but it's so. Um, so I before this episode, I sent her a list and said, "Hey, will you tell me which of these books you haven't read yet?" Because I wanted to pick something that neither of us had read. Or, or that she had, that I had read, but she hadn't yet. Um, um, and Sam's <laughs> response totally sold me on the book that I should pick because uh, it, it was irresistible. The backstory on this is, is too good. So I picked Green Sleeves by Elias uh. McGraw. Because apparently another McGraw book led to uh, Suzanne's criminal incident. Yeah, my life of crime. Does that mean I have to tell the life of crime story? Well, I kind of think that it does, unless it's really embarrassing. But maybe especially if it's really embarrassing. Well, we will. We'll have to. We'll just tease that for next time. (laughs) Stay tuned. (laughs) Stay tuned. And I'm really excited to read Green Sleeves, by the way. um, And I I knew the name. I haven't read the book. But I knew the name Eloise Jarvis McGraw right when I saw it because my very favorite one of my one of my really top ten ever favorite books of like probably middle school was um, Mara, Daughter of the Nile, um, by the same author. Have you ever read Mara? I haven't read that. I'll read that too while I'm reading. Uh, okay. Uh, Green. Sh- I haven't. I I haven't. It was not. It's not one I've revisited as an adult. Um. But so my 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 life of crime, my criminal act revolves around Mara, daughter of the Nile. So you'll have to tune in next time. Wow, that and I will have to look up. I will have to look up the statute of limitations <laughs> yes, to find out if I really want to out myself on you know national podcast media. Surely they would not put the parent of a young kitten in jail. <laughs> Gozer would just be cute at them. All right. Well, I'm so excited. So green sleeves next time. Yes. Yes. I hope you, I hope you like it. I'm sure I will. And I guess that is it. The wrap for our first official episode of the podcast with Suzanne and Amy brought to you by homeschool life magazine. We'll be dropping a new episode every couple of weeks all summer. So check back in for more conversation about the places where home, school, and life intersect. And let us know what you think. We would love to hear from you with questions, suggestions, ideas, anything pretty much that you want to share. You can reach us by email at podcast at homeschoollifemag.com. Thanks for listening. Bye.